Welcome to Living Well with Rent Well, the podcast for anybody who's thinking about getting into real estate, in real estate, and wants to take their game to the next level. I'm your co-host, TJ Hawk. And I am your co-host, Rob Coldwell. Welcome to another episode of Living Well with Rent Well. I'm your co-host, TJ Hawk. I am so excited for today's conversation. We have Joey Coleman with us today. He's the author of Never Lose a Customer Again and uh, is just an amazing person. Uh, probably read the book twice already. And uh, thanks for being on the show, Joey. Oh, TJ, it is my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks to everybody who is listening in. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah. So, Joey, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of your background and and then we'll jump into it. Sure. So for about the last 20 years now, I have been teaching companies how to keep their customers and keep their employees. And the way I do that is through books, through consulting engagements, through workshops, through speeches to audiences, small, medium and large, focused on what are the kind of experiences that you're creating And are you consciously designing the type of experiences that will keep your customers coming back for more and keep your employees engaged and also coming back for more? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I I think, I think this, this whole concept really kind of resonated with particularly myself, but also our company because, so we're a service-based industry and it's not a product that sits on a shelf. Somebody goes in, buys and walks away and you're done with the interaction. This is very much a relationship. And for years, we focused on what's the new door count or the unit count? Right. How many new units do we have? And my business partner actually challenged me with a question. He said, hey, this is all very good. But what would it look like if we didn't lose all the doors that we lose every year? I mean, in this space, it's a pretty high churn rate. You can expect to lose somewhere around 20 to 25% of your doors every year. Um, certainly the real estate market that we're in right now, it certainly was a seller's market. So we sure. did lose doors. And so um, I, what I, where I'd like to start off with is reading an excerpt from your book. And this is, partic- this is the chapter from, you only have 100 days to get it right. So I'll start with this. And... Um, It says, if businesses approached their customer interactions in the same way that movies approach their audience interactions, that is, figuring out the emotions a customer should have every step of the way, the entire world of business would change. This is why the first 100 days of a new customer's relationship are so critical. During this period, the customer embarks on their own emotional journey. If it's a remarkable one, they'll stay. If it isn't emotionally satisfying, they will leave. I love that. I just oh, thanks. Summarizes the entire <laughs> book, if you will. But <laughs> could you tell us a little bit about what are the 100 days? Why are they important? What does that look like? Well, what's interesting, TJ, is all the research shows. When I was writing the book, we looked at research from small, medium, and large companies, online and offline, product and service, domestic and international. We tried to get as wide of a scope as we could. And what we found is that somewhere between 20 and 70% of new customers will decide to stop doing business with you before they reach the 100-day anniversary. 20 to 70%. These numbers were staggering to me, right? 68% in the auto mechanic industry, 20% software as a service, 32% in banking, restaurants, depending on the cuisine you have, anywhere from 40 to 70%. Think of all the restaurants you've gone to once 
and right. never went back to again. Like that restaurant had a once and done customer and that was it. Even if that customer lived two miles away from the restaurant and would happily come back again and again, the experience wasn't remarkable enough. It wasn't personalized enough. It wasn't special enough to make someone want to come back more. And the quote you were kind enough to share, that idea of speaking to the emotions, when someone becomes a new customer, they are in a state of fear, doubt, and uncertainty. They have no idea what to expect. They have no idea what doing business is going to be like with you. And we're celebrating. Woohoo, we landed the gig. We've got the new customer. We're excited. And if we don't translate our excitement and enthusiasm into their experience of what it's like to do business with us, we can't hope of keeping them long term. Now, if you don't mind, I'll push on something that you mentioned earlier, you know, the industry. And I've got some experience with the property management industry. Um, okay. One of the pieces about the industry that I would posit is antithetical to the teaching in my books comes from the fact that we think about it in terms of how many doors do we have. You yep. don't have doors. You have humans. Mm. So... Wow. Let's just stop and look at how much of our industry is thinking about, well, how, ma how many doors did you lose last year? Well, no, you didn't lose doors. You lost the investor who owned that property and you, and you lost the resident or the tenant who lived behind that door. And if we just stop and think about the language that we use within our organizations and we're bringing new employees on and we're like, hey, we're going to be really focused on not losing doors. Well, guess what? I can go to Home Depot or Menards and get a boatload of doors. You know what I can't go get? A boatload of residents. I can't go get a boatload of investors. I love that. How do we change our thinking? Well, we start by changing the language that we use. And to your point and your, your partners, that challenge of what are we doing to keep these folks that we've worked so hard to bring into the fold, to get them as investors or to get them as tenants or residents? What are we doing to make their experience so valuable that they can't think of anything but staying with us? Because let's be candid, in the property management space, when you lose doors, and I'm doing little air quotes for those of you that can't see me, when you lose doors, what that actually means usually is that you have lost the building that you were managing. You have lost the apartment unit that you were managing, right? You've lost the investor, the owner, whoever wanted who's like not happy with the property management. But there is another aspect of losing doors, which is losing tenants and losing residents. And if you are keeping the residents, keeping the tenants, the likelihood of the person who owns the building ending their agreement with you is very small because you've solved yeah. their number one problem which is cash flow and rents and occupancy rates and, you know, how, how many people are in long-term leases and what we're doing to kind of foster ongoing long-term relationships. So we're really talking about the person behind the door who's the investor and the person who's behind the door that's the tenant. I, that's incredible. The, the juxtaposition of changing the mindset from not doors, this object, to owners, tenants we prefer to call them residents. Sure. Because um, they're real people, right? Yes. And it's like, this is where they live. This is where they cook their meals. This is where they hang out with their family. It's it's real life. And and I think this is a generalization, but I, th I believe that a lot of property managers out there, real estate investors out focus on their clients 
more than they do their residents. And that can be anywhere from how quickly maintenance gets done to, you know, what's their overall experience living there. And it, uh, really within the last two years, we've started to focus more on, well, how can we service the residents? Because if they, to your point, if they stay in the property, why would the owner want to leave? Exactly. You and know? if the resident isn't complaining and if the resident is paying their rent on time, and if the resident is continuing to opt into yet another year-long lease, or maybe even an 18-month or a two-year or a three-year lease, why wouldn't an investor or an owner want to keep that train rolling? They would. Yes. And when the reality is, and I say this respectfully to folks who are listening, because I know we got a lot of folks in the property management space listening, the bar for creating a remarkable experience in the property management space is not that high off the ground. I'm sorry, friends. Like, no one's sitting around going, huh, let me see, best companies I've ever dealt with. Uh, Disney, um, Tesla, and the property manager at the last place I lived. Right. No, no one in the world is saying that. But what they could be saying is, oh my gosh, you know what? These people that are responsible for my apartment care as much about my home as I do. Hmm. It never ceases to amaze me that the one of the biggest complaints in the industry, in property management, is time that it takes for maintenance. Now, I know that there is a balance between the resident wants something fixed and the owner isn't excited about paying to have it fixed. Right. I get it. I understand the juxtaposition between these two. But part of the job of the property manager, in my experience, is to help educate and navigate the conversation with the investor before you take on those doors, before you take on that responsibility to say, how are we going to handle capital improvements? I'm sorry, if the bathtub is leaking or the shower is leaking, we need to fix that before they take another shower. And not only do we need to fix that for the resident, but we don't want to damage this unit to the point where we have to have it vacant while we strip out and deal with mold or leaks into the unit below or anything like that. So guess what? Those type of things we need to solve right quick. And so coming up with a triaged list that not only can be used to educate the investor, but also to educate the new tenant moving in or the new resident. Hey, by the way, these type of things we promise we'll fix within 36 hours. Leaking toilets, leaking faucets, leaking anything involving water. Okay, come on, folks. Like just, that should be we need to solve this immediately. Anything involving doors that won't lock or close. Come on, provide some security, help those people out. If it's something like, hey, I'm not really excited about this 12-year-old refrigerator, I'd like a newer refrigerator. Okay, that is something we're happy to take under advisement. We want the food to stay cold. We want to be taking care of you, but that's not going to be replaced until next year. Now, if you're willing to sign a two-year lease today, I bet I could convince the investor to get that new refrigerator in now so you enjoy it in both of the two years as opposed to just the second of the two years. Now we're working with people. Now we're saying, help me help you. Yeah, man, I, I love that. And it, it, it's almost because how do you say, in, you know, in our space, you have to say no, air quotes, in a certain way that doesn't then lead to a negative review. And so it's, it's I like the idea of, well, I should say, it's the challenge of how do you maybe say no or not right now 
um, without getting them so irate that they go online, write a review. And uh, I think that if you have this, like a more of an ongoing relationship with the tenants, it's probably less likely that that would happen, probably more likely that they're willing to respect, okay, well, maybe we can't do this now, but we'll revisit again in six months using the refrigerator example, because we are, now we have a relationship. It's not just a transactional conversation where the only time we talk, the only time we communicate is when something's going wrong. Exactly. And TJ, let's be candid. The responsibility for communicating outside of the sphere of something going wrong does not lie on the resident's shoulders. Hmm. That responsibility lies on the property manager's shoulders. Okay. If the only time you're ever visible on the property is when you're putting out fires, fixing links, solving problems. If the only time you're ever interacting is when I reach out to you to say, hey, there's something wrong here, then you don't get to complain that all we ever seem to do is complain. Yes. Okay, because it's like, well, have you checked in on how I'm doing? One of the things I think is very fascinating, um, lots of times people who are either investors or are property managers, it's been a while since they moved. Hmm. I'm going to let that sink in a little bit. It's been a while since you've moved. For context, I've moved six times in the last 12 years. So I understand this adventure. I understand the pain of moving. I understand the research that seems to indicate that um, the stress of moving is second only to the stress of the death of a loved one. Like it's crazy stressful Real. to move. Yeah, like moving is, as a general rule, even when you're moving somewhere that you're excited to be moving for, you've just signed on to a bunch of expenses, a bunch of headache, a bunch of sore muscles, a bunch of packing up stuff that you're like, why do we still have this? A bunch of unpacking stuff where you're like, why do we even have this? Why do we just pay to have that moved? Hypothetically, some of these things might be coming up for people, right? But I think if we don't empathize with our residents where they're at and recognize the opportunity to create a remarkable experience in those first hundred days of them moving into our property, what can we do to make that experience so great that we're doing deposits in the karmic bank account for when things do go wrong, we can withdraw on some of the goodwill that we've already created as opposed to I show up and the unit hasn't been painted, there's water stains, the refrigerator hasn't been cleaned out, the toilet it does it uh it's constantly flushing it does it you know there are things that are broken that it's like any human who was on the maintenance team that did a walkthrough should have recognized i wouldn't want to live here so why do we presume that the tenants want to live here and we get into all kinds of socioeconomic conversations about like well for the price they're paying they should be thankful stop that stop that behavior If you or your team or your investors are saying, well, for the price they're paying, they should be thankful. We really got to have a conversation about whether you should be in this industry anymore. Yes, I agree. Hey, so Joey, can you walk us through then? So we talk about the first 100 days and this is very clear. It could be on the resident side. It could be on the owner side. Maybe later I have a question of can this show up not even in business, maybe somewhere in your personal life, but you talk about the eight phases that of the customer's journey in that first 100 days could now, I know we could spend days on this topic, but are you able to kind of condense that? Like what those eight phases look like? 
Absolutely. Let me give you a quick overview of the eight phases, kind of what's happening in each one. Uh, but let's pick whether we should do it from the perspective of the resident or the perspective of the owner slash investor who owns the property. Because they're, they're, it's the same eight phases in the same sequence and order, but the emotional experience and what they're experiencing in each of those phases is slightly different. I think let's stay on the topic of residents. Perfect. So the residents, let's start with phase one. Each of these phases start with the letter A. The idea is if you get them all right, it's like getting straight A's on your report card. Everybody's happy with your performance. All right. Phase one, the assess phase. This is when a prospective resident is considering whether or not they want to move into your property. They're coming for a visit. They're doing a tour. They're checking your website to see available units. They might be on uh, Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist or somewhere where they're seeing a listing for your property. In common parlance, we think of this as the marketing and sales portion of the relationship. They're figuring out, hey, is there a unit available that'll fit my needs that has the kind of amenities I'm looking for at the price point for rent that I want that I want to move into? We then go to phase two, the admit phase. This is when the resident signs the lease. They admit that they have a need that they believe that you, the property manager, can solve. I need a place to live. I've got a unit. Come on, let's make a deal. We sign the lease. They then go to phase three, the affirm phase or the buyer's remorse phase, where they begin to doubt the decision that they just made. This happens immediately after signing the lease and lasts until the day they move in. Now, for some of you listening, the gap between when they sign the lease and when they move in is a day or two. For some of you, it could be a month or two, right? Who knows what it's going to be? That entire period, whereas a general rule, most property managers aren't communicating with their new residents at all. We're just waiting for move-in day. You are right. That vacuum of communication, that lack of communication just creates an opportunity for them to sit in their fear and doubt and uncertainty that they made the wrong choice. Wow. We then come to phase four, the activate phase. The activate phase lasts one day. It's move-in day. The activate phase starts the morning that they're moving in and ends that night. It is the one phase that is only a day and it's always only a day. What are you doing to take the stress of move-in day and instead make it magical? Mm. What are you doing to make that the best day of their entire time at your property? changes the conversation. We then go to phase five, the acclimate phase. Now the acclimate phase in a property resident context usually is somewhere between two and three, maybe even five, six months. It's them getting used to the cadence of the property. It's them figuring out how best to pay their rent. It's them figuring out if something is wrong, how do they get maintenance to help them? It's them maybe deciding I should try to use that gym or that pool or that amenity that they have that was interesting to me when I signed up, but I've never gone to, even though it's one of the available amenities here at the property that is featured all over the website and in the brochure and the property owners thinking it's amazing we have a pool. Well, if nobody swims in the pool, it's not an amazing pool. Something to think about. So the acclimate phase is how we acclimate them to our way of doing business because we've had dozens of tenants, hundreds of tenants, but for that new resident, it's the first time they've ever lived here. They don't know what to expect. We need to hold their hand and help them navigate. We then come to phase six, the accomplish phase. This is when the resident achieves the goal they had when they originally decided to sign the lease and become a resident. Now, here's the problem, TJ. Most property managers think that the goal is moving in, that they accomplish the goal at the end of the first day. No, my friends, 
that is not the goal. The goal is for the place to feel like home. That's actually the goal. So at what point do your residents start to feel not like residents, not like tenants, but like this is my home? Then, and only then, if we help them achieve that goal, do we move to phase seven, the adopt phase, where they become loyal to us and only us. They're the kind of folks that are signing to renew the lease, extend the lease. They're coming to us saying, hey, I know we're getting to the end of our term. Just wanted to let you know we're interested in renewing. Can we put together another lease? These are the golden tenants, the golden residents we all want, right? That we're not chasing in month nine or 10, hoping to get them to sign quickly so we don't have to let the investor or the owner know that we didn't renew them and we got to have a vacancy that we're going to have to fill. No. What are we doing to acknowledge their adoption? And last but not least, if all of these things have happened, we come to phase eight, the holy grail, nirvana, the goal everybody's looking for, the advocate phase, where our resident becomes our unpaid, uncompensated marketing and sales team bringing their friends, their family members, their coworkers, their loved ones to come live in our property or in our building or in our units as well. They're recruiting people. They're advocating. They're writing reviews online. They're posting availabilities on their social media feeds just because we happen to tell them that like, hey, unit 4B is coming available. It's a three bedroom if you know anybody who's interested. And they're going out of their way to find people because it feels like home. It feels like their space. Here's my challenge with property management. Most property management organizations don't think about eight phases at all. They think about three phases. They think about the assess phase, the, okay, we've got open units we need to fill. They think about the admit phase. Okay, we got to get them to sign the lease. Sign the lease. Come on, sign the lease. And maybe we think about move-in day in the sense that do they have the keys? Are they going to, do they have the reservation for the elevator? Are they going to be blocking the entrance? How annoying is this going to be to the other people that live here? And then the next time we think about them is in month 10 or 11 when it comes time to try to get them to sign another lease. I, I mean, Joey, I, I literally am full of goosebumps right now because it's just, uh, I, this is such an opportunity for anybody listening to this. And uh, I get, our good friend Cameron Harold has what's called a vivid vision. And the words that you're speaking just, it's like, okay, wow, this needs to be in our vivid vision. How we're treating people, not the doors. Yeah. And I mean, here's the thing. I get that this is hard. I don't want to imply to anyone listening that this is easy. Okay, it's difficult. It requires time. It requires attention. It actually requires less money than you think it requires. For some of you thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to cost us a boatload. No, it's not. But it requires intentionality. It requires a decision to care about humans and to show them that you care. It's, it's like when we're kids and we go to show and tell. What happens is, is we become more adults we become a lot more focused on the tell than the show. Hmm. We become a lot more focused to be like, oh, we are a world-class property. We've got fantastic amenities. You're going to love calling this place home. Great. Thanks for the voiceover on your video. But it doesn't feel like that at your property. It doesn't feel like that when I'm walking through the halls. It doesn't feel like that when I'm in the gym, when I'm at the pool, when I'm walking around on the grounds, when I'm in the parking lot. It feels like how much money can we squeeze out of every tenant 
at the least possible reinvestment back into the property to maximize investor profits. That's yeah. what it feels like at most properties. You can tell the difference. That's the cool thing about space and environment and homes and people and places. When you walk into a property that is well-managed, where the residents think of it as home, you feel welcomed. You feel the energetic vibe. When you walk into a place that is broken down, that is decrepit, that is about cash and checks, you yeah. feel like I want to do anything in my ability to get out of this building or off of this property right now. Yeah. Feelings matter. And they lead to bottom line improvements as well, right? When somebody feels remarkable about the experience, they'll happily pay more. Look at how much it costs to go to Disney for a day. Look at how much it costs to stay at the Ritz-Carlton versus the hotel across the street that's in the exact same neighborhood but doesn't have the same ethos around experience. Experience. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Is, is there – oh, I have so many questions. <laughs> uh, but I think let's – probably the, the one that's in, the, in my mind is this is great for businesses, you know, entrepreneurs, or if I'm a team leader, or does this principle carry over into your personal life at all between maybe family or friends? Or is there any way to bring this into that conversation? Yeah, on, only in my experience, 100%, TJ. So, so it's only 100% of the time that it applies. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Humans are humans. Like this fiction that we have of like, oh, we have our business life and our personal life. No, you have where you're working from. And increasingly in our work from home remote world, your business life happens in your home. You're working remotely over, over a screen, right? You're working beyond the hours of nine to five. You're answering emails. You're doing texts. You're doing calls. Things are spilling into your weekend. So I absolutely think the same type of philosophy applies to your personal life as well. I've had people come up to me and say, Joey, I read your book and I used it for an off-label use case. I used it with dating. I'm like, fantastic. Yeah. Tell me how it worked. Well, in the assess phase, I tried to give a preview of what it would be like to dating me. On the admit phase, when they admitted that they wanted to go on one date, I said, great, and we scheduled the date. Then in the affirm phase, I messaged them before the date, just letting them know how excited I was to have dinner with them on Friday night so that they knew while they were in that state of, God, did I make the right choice saying yes to the date that we were going to be able to go to dinner? We go to the activate phase. We went to a great restaurant. I had looked at the menu before. I had found something special. I had done a little extra touch. And ideally, it created a scenario where they had a great experience. Then as their dating relationship continued and we acclimated, we learned about each other. I tried to do things that would be interesting to them. I tried to show aspects of myself and set my own expectation for like, hey, here's what's fun or unique or different about me so that we can kind of move towards that goal of accomplish, which in most people is to find a partner that they can be with long term. Not everyone, but a lot of people have that goal. So great, we accomplished the goal. Now someone becomes an adopter, they're loyal to you, they're committed to you, and then they become an advocate. And an advocate phase in a relationship is not where they're recruiting more people to become part of the relationship, but rather they're saying, I love my spouse. I love my significant other. I love my partner because they love me. Hmm. This stuff applies in our personal lives. It applies in our business lives. We are living in an era where the average human being feels less connected, less appreciated, less valued than probably any other time in human history. 
And yet we're living in an era where the majority of us, if we go on our social media page, have more than 500 friends. We seek likes. We interact with a lot more people online than we do offline. We're allegedly more connected, yet we feel disconnected. We allegedly have more networks, but we feel less networked. Mm. This is a chronic problem that is facing all humans globally. There's an opportunity to really move the dial here. I was going to say, this is such a great opportunity for anybody right now, you know, especially it's people have been sort of isolated for the last two years. And, you know, I, so what's going through my mind is, okay, well, I, I, in the book, I think you talked about something called the experience mindset and, or I read it somewhere, maybe it wasn't in the book, but it was somewhere. And is this something, can somebody develop these skills? Like kind of where would they start with this? You know, if they haven't been doing something like this. Well, I think the best place to, first of all, can someone develop these skills? Absolutely. Number two, most people already have a pretty clear understanding of the experiences they like. And so where I often start, start with my consulting clients is I say, great, tell me about the greatest experience you've ever had as a customer. What is that? Is that going on Amazon and uh, they know the product you want and it's in stock and you press buy and it shows up on your door before you go to bed that night? Is it going on Netflix and being able to click through and watch any type of entertainment from anywhere in the world for a low price streamed immediately and seamlessly to your living room? Is it your favorite restaurant where you go in and you get to have a meal where you leave that meal going, oh my gosh, that was tasty. It was fun. I had community and I tried something that I'd never tried before. Think of the great experiences you've had and then ask, are the experiences that we're creating for our residents on par with these? And if they're not, don't beat yourself up. It's okay. What can you do to make them more like that? It's not about the amount of money you spend. It's not about creating layers and layers of systems and deliverables and everybody has to have new appliances every time and we've got to have, you know, the brand new features and this and that. No, it's about caring about the humans who you're asking to give you money. Hmm. It's that simple. It's that simple. You know, you had mentioned customer service and it made me think I was in a mastermind group a couple months ago and somebody had raised their hand and said, well, how, you know, how do you build out a customer service department? How do you know if you have enough people? And the leader of the group said, if you really need to focus on your customer service department, you probably have a bad product or something else with your team or like, yeah. you, instead of focusing on that, focus on the core way that you operate and the experiences that you bring to the, like, think of Amazon, to your point, there really, I mean, I guess you can send an email and you can go back and forth there, but there really isn't a need to pick up the phone and call somebody. Right, because they make it so nine times out of 10, if not 99 times out of 100, it's quick, easy, seamless, and it works. And here's the great thing about Amazon. When it doesn't work, you get on and you do the chat, you get on a live call with them, and what do they usually do? Have you had an experience where something's gone wrong with Amazon, TJ? Because if not, I have, and I can tell you exactly what happens. I, I have not. So I'd love to Great. hear your experience. So I, so I order a product from Amazon and I get the product and the product is damaged. Now, I don't know whether it was damaged before it left the manufacturer in the warehouse or in the truck while it was being delivered to my house. And to be completely candid as a customer, 
Should the customer really care? Does it really matter where it happened? The fact of the matter is what I purchased didn't show up the way it was supposed to. So I'm more of a, I would like to talk to people on the phone rather than do live chat. So I call, go on Amazon, get the number, go under orders, go to returns. And before I even have to click to call, the button says, was something wrong? Did the product arrive damaged? I'm like, oh my gosh. (laughs) How'd you know? Yes, that's what happened. And they were like, can you put one or two sentences describing the type of damage? So I wrote a quick little, you know, here's what it was. Submit. It says, great. Would you like us to send a new one out today? I'm like, yes, that's exactly. I still need the product. It's just the one you sent me was broken. Boom. Great. Next message. And this is the one that blew my mind. It said, since the product is already damaged, you don't have to send it back. We trust you. Please properly recycle it or dispose of it if possible. We'd love it if you recycled it. But if it's not something that can be recycled, please dispose of it in a respectful, reasonable way. Stay tuned. Your package will be arriving tomorrow. Wow. And I'm like, that's how it should be. It wasn't send us photos proving that it was damaged. It wasn't, oh, we're going to have to inspect this to make sure that you didn't damage it. It was, and I'm sure somewhere in the algorithm, it's looking going, oh, Joey spends a lot of money on Amazon and doesn't complain every five minutes that something's wrong. Chances are pretty good that he, we're going to just give him the benefit of the doubt. And this is what I want property managers to take away from this story. When a resident calls you, with a maintenance request, or they stop by the office with a maintenance request, or they go on your app or your website, however it is that you garner maintenance request. When you read that, what is your first emotional reaction? Is your first emotional reaction, ugh, fine, unit 703, great, I guess I know what I'm doing this afternoon. Is your reaction, oh, wow, if the tub isn't working, I bet that, uh, Joanne and Janice are having some real challenges given their three kids' baths at night. Or is it, huh, they just moved in last month and already the tub isn't working? They must be really doubting their experience because I'm sure when they did the tour, they didn't take a bath. (laughs) Probably not. They didn't take a bath. So how are they supposed to know that something isn't broken if it's not part of the tour? And so instead, what if our reaction was, oh, wow, I need to fix this right now. And I need to go above and beyond on fixing this. I need to let them know that this was an aberration. This was just a one-off weird thing that the stars happened to align. Or how can I go the extra mile? Can I do a gift certificate for a local restaurant to, hey, we're going to be in working tonight on the stove. So guess what? Dinner's on us. Go out and eat at a restaurant. You know, these little things are the things that make someone go, gosh, I'm living in the right place. This is the right setup for me. I had a a scenario where I was renting a house and uh, the refrigerator showed up. They, we, we got into the house. We were using the house for about, I don't know, six months. And the refrigerator just stopped working one day. Now the refrigerator is kind of a major part of the house, right? And I messaged the property manager and I was like, Hey, the refrigerator just stopped working last night. Um, We've got stuff in coolers right now, but this is a big problem. Like we're like, we haven't, all the food hasn't spoiled yet, but it's working in that direction. 
No sooner had I texted, do I get a call back from the property manager that says, I've got a team on the way with a new refrigerator. They'll be there within the hour. By the way, let me know the cost of anything that you lost. And you can either deduct that from next month's rent or we'll just cut you a check for that so that you can restock the refrigerator. Guess who renewed their lease next time around for a two-year lease? When they came to me with one, I said, actually, you know what? Let's just ramp this up to two. And I'll be happy to do a two-year lease. And they had an accelerator clause for rent for year two. It wasn't me locking in the discounted rate. I said, and I know you're going to want to rent the, raise the rent. Let's agree right now to what that raise will be. And I will lock into as a way to show you how much I appreciate you caring about me and my family. Wow. Folks, caring shouldn't be this difficult. It shouldn't be this hard. And I imagine there's some people that are listening that are like, I don't have a lot of people that care about me in my life this way. And I get that. And I'm sorry for that. But when you start to care for the people you serve this way, they will start to care for you too. And your coworkers will start to care for you. And your loved ones will start to care for you in a different way. Because when we are around someone who is a caring, giving, empathetic personality, it calls us to be the best version of ourselves. Wow. Joey, uh, I am so grateful that you made time for us today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm super energized by this conversation. You know, internal, my internal dialogue is going, oh man, we got to fix this and we got to fix that. And how do we make this better? And how do we, uh, so you, you certainly got the wheels turning today. Um, I, just as we wrap up here, cause we're, we're at our time. How do the listeners get a hold of you or find out more about you? How do they pick up your book? Yeah, so the book is called Never Lose a Customer Again. It's available wherever you buy books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your favorite indie bookstore, any of those places. It's available as a ebook. It's available as a hardcover book. And if you've liked the sound of my voice on the podcast, it's also available as an audiobook that I narrate to you. So you can kind of consume the book in whatever uh, way that you like. Um, the best place to find me is at my website, joeycoleman.com. That's J-O-E-Y, like a baby kangaroo or a five-year-old you know. Uh, Coleman, C-O. L-E-M-A-N, like the camping equipment, but no relation, joeycoleman.com. What I would suggest folks do when you go there, right on the homepage, you'll see the ability to download a first 100 days starter kit. It's a free PDF. It is not putting you on some like, oh, now you're getting an email from me every three days asking you to buy something. No, that's not what it is. You get a PDF that details the eight phases. It gives examples of ways you can create remarkable interactions in each of those eight phases. And it's got worksheets that you can print out and do an exercise with your team where you can say, how can we make move-in day the best day ever? How can we make the signing of the lease a remarkable experience? Experience instead of a draconian lawyer-induced adventure where they're signing things they don't understand. Hypothetically, right? Some of these things might be happening. So yeah, joeycoleman.com. And I just so appreciate the time and the conversation, TJ, and appreciate everybody who was kind enough to listen into our conversation. All righty. Well, Joey, thank you. And uh, we appreciate you being on the show. Thanks so much, TJ. Thank you for listening to Living Well with Rentwell. We hope you loved that episode. Please be sure to head over to our website at rentwell.com backslash vision. We're giving away our free program called Vision Through Purposeful Action. If you're a busy person, 
if you struggle with finding the time and priorities, or if you're experiencing procrastination and overwhelm, this free course will help you with that. We wish you a blessed day. Thank you for tuning in and check in later.